You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. All right, well, December is here. It came kind of with a fury this morning, quite a bit of snow outside. Our setup crew had a lot of fun out there, uh, pulling in the trailer, pulling in the equipment, Um, but we're excited. We love Christmas. We love the celebration of the birth of Christ. Uh, It's an awesome time in our homes, and it's an awesome time together as the church family, worshiping Him, bringing Him glory because the King has come. Amen? And so we want to praise the Lord. And as we also mentioned this morning, uh, we're continuing to share this news that we are moving. We're moving to a new location. We want to praise the Lord for that. We want to get excited about that together. We have been praying about this for, for over almost two years now to find a good location in South Calgary. And, and we've, we've had locations here and there, smaller ones, uh, but this is going to be so much better for us as a church to be gathering together more room for ministry, more room to reach the lost, more room to minister to one another and to praise the Lord together. So praise Him for that. Our Lord is providing, the Spirit is moving, and His Word is going forth. And as I've been thinking about that, as I've been thinking about this new opportunity, what comes with that is also more costs as a church. It costs more money to go from a place like this to a place like that. And so uh, in my moments of thinking about that, knowing our budget, knowing where we're going, knowing the cost, I've had moments of worry. I've had moments of anxiety thinking about this. I've lost a little sleep in my flesh, being worried, seeing our budget, seeing the current uh, costs that are going to increase. That in the new year, as a church, our financial faithfulness is going to be on display in our lives. And so with that, this morning, we're going to be looking at that. Last week, we looked at giving ourselves away, really talking about serving, loving, serving one another in the church. This week, we're going to be looking at financial faithfulness, that God has answered our prayers and that we are to trust in Him and to follow Him. He will make straight our paths. He knows the beginning from the end. He provides for the church through His people. He is faithful to do that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all His. And so with that, like I said, we're going to build off that giving ourselves away from last week. And I believe it's a good time for us to circle the wagons, to have a look at our financial faithfulness. And so we're going to do a bit of a spiritual checkup this morning. Now let me ask you this morning, who loves to go to the doctor to get a checkup? to get that physical. Anybody? Anybody just love to make that appointment, right? You make that appointment, it's two weeks away, and you're Xing off the calendar because you can't wait to put on that little, that little smock that you wear and sit on the cold table, right? No, nobody loves that. And it's, when it comes to money and it comes to giving, we don't always love messages regarding that. It hurts a little bit, right? Uh, but we're going to do it this morning. We're going to do a bit of a spiritual checkup through our financial faithfulness. It's something uh, that we need to focus on as a church every now and then to, to recalibrate and to see where we're at. The Bible speaks a lot about money. Some of us don't want to hear things about money, but the Bible speaks a lot about money. And because the Bible 
is God's word because it is breathed out by him and it is profitable. We're going to look at some texts of scripture today and we're going to ask ourselves five questions. We're going to ask ourselves five questions of self-examination, questions about our financial faithfulness to the church. And so who's ready? Who's ready? Who's excited for that? Right? Well, let's be, because the Bible is full of this, and God is concerned with that as well. So let's pray, and then we'll get into, the, into God's Word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is faithful. We thank you that you are a God that provides. We thank you, Lord, that each one of us came here this morning in, in, a, in a warm car, and that we made it through the snow, and we got to gather together as your church. Lord, you are faithful to do that. And Lord, as we look across this planet, we see that you are advancing your kingdom for your glory. You are faithful in that. We thank you that you, are, you have been faithful to start this new church and that it's almost been a year and we are gathering and your spirit is moving and your word is going forth in power. So we pray for you to continue in that. And through your word today, your holy, inspired word, would you speak to us and would you transform us for your glory? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so the first thing we need to understand right out of the gate, I'm going to take you to some, some text here. It's a little different this morning. We'll be jumping around uh, the New Testament a little bit. But the first thing we need to understand this morning is this. As Christians of the New Covenant, New Testament giving is not Old Testament tithing. New Testament giving is not Old Testament tithing. Now, I know we throw that word tithing around sometimes. It's a part of our Christian lingo. Um, For the most part, we understand what we're talking about when we say tithing. We're talking about our offering. We're talking about our giving to the church. But New Testament giving is not Old Testament tithing. And we're going to show you that here. Um, The word translated tithe comes from the Hebrew verb asar, which means tenth, one-tenth, ten percent. The first time we see tithing in the Old Testament is in Genesis 14, uh, when Abraham gave one-tenth of all that he had to this mysterious king of Salem, Melchizedek, because he was a priest of the God Most High. It's the first time that we see it. And then we can trace this through the the lives and and generations of the Israelites uh, as they were rescued in, in the Old Testament, rescued from Egypt, And the sacrificial tabernacle temple system was put in place. The people were then required to give 10%, one-tenth of all that they grew, all that they harvested. They were required to give that to the tabernacle, to the priests, later to the temple. In Leviticus 27.30, the Lord gave Moses the instruction about this. Uh, He says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so these Israelites, they would harvest their grain and their corn and their oil and their flocks, and they would have to set 10% aside of all that they had, and they would have to bring it to the Levitical priests. In Numbers 18.21, God instructs, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for the service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So this was a cost to cover the services of the priesthood and those who would uh, operate the tabernacle 
and the temple. And this continued all throughout the Old Testament. And so sometimes we as Christians today, we look at the Old Testament tithe and we try to apply it directly to giving to the Lord today. But that's, that's not what we do. There is some principles in there, but we need to look at what the New Testament teaches about giving. Because New Testament giving is not the same as Old Testament tithing. It's not. If you were to model your giving upon the Old Testament, you would actually, in fact, find out that you have to give more than 10%. There were feast tithes, there were poor tithes, and then we still had the the tabernacle tithe, which would probably add up to somewhere between 20 and 23% of all that you would harvest, all that you would, uh, your flocks and your oil and your corn, 20 to 23% of all that you had. But friends, since the Messiah came, since Jesus came, since God himself came to earth as Jesus Christ, since he lived and he died and he rose from the grave, we have a new covenant. The old covenant has passed away. The new covenant has come. And it has been fulfilled. Galatians 3, 23 to 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law perfectly. We don't have a temple anymore because in Christ, you are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells within you. We don't have priests anymore to pay taxes to anymore because 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who Hebrews 4.14 says, He is our high priest. He is the one who has ascended into a heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. The old covenant has passed away through His blood. In His blood, we have a new covenant. We don't have a sacrificial system anymore because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect final lamb sacrifice. So friends, all the promises and the law of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. We are no, un, no longer under that law anymore. The law, the sacrifice, they all pointed to Him. And it was fulfilled perfectly in Him. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah All of the promises of the Old Testament find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And with that, the same with the tithe, this legal requirement of the tithe. It's no longer required because New Testament giving is not the same as Old Testament tithing. New Testament giving has to be understood in light of the New Testament. And so then what does the New Testament teach? Is it silent on this issue of giving? Do we no longer have to give to the Lord anymore? 
Are we free to just sit back and hold on to our wallets? Well, no, actually the New Testament is, is full of instructions on money and giving. The words of Christ have lots to say about money and how we are to steward our finances. And what you're going to find with a New Testament theology of giving is that giving is a grace-induced response of faith. A grace-induced response of faith to the glory and the beauty of the gospel. It's not a legal requirement. It is of grace. And it's marked by giving rightly, giving generously, giving cheerfully, giving sacrificially, and giving worshipfully. And we're going to see that as we walk through some texts. And so if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. We're going to see the first question that we're going to ask ourselves this morning about our financial faithfulness. And it's going to reveal to us the heart behind it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. What we're going to find here is we're going to find this question. And the question is, am I giving rightly? My discretion reveals my intent. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we've already established that the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament tithing no longer applies to Christians in the New Covenant. But when you study the New Testament, monetary giving is still an essential marker of faithfulness in God's people. And so if you claim to be a Christian, giving is just a natural in fact, it's a supernatural outpouring of grace in your life. It's not a law, but it's a supernatural proof that you are a believer. And this is insinuated by Jesus in verse 2 as he says this. He says, when you give. When you give. He doesn't say, if you give. He says, when you give. He expects his followers to give. Now, the context here is giving to the needy. So this would apply to personal interaction with, with those in the world as well, those who are poor, those who are in need, and you should apply it that, well, that as well. But it also applies to giving to the church because the church also gives to the needy. Our mission is for the needy. The most needy thing that we have is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And then verse 2 we see that this instruction is given to be applied to the heart. He says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. So in your giving, don't be a hypocrite. Don't shout it out. Don't show it to the world around you that you may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that you will receive your reward. That'll be your reward. 
But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what we're going to see here is two things that we're going to apply. The first is, am I giving? Jesus expects us to give. The question is, am I giving? Am I giving? And if you are giving, is it being done with the right intent? So one thing I want to be abundantly clear as your pastor in this church, I never have any idea about what anybody gives. We set it up that way that the pastor of the church will never know what individuals give in a church. I see an end-of-the-month number. That's all I see. And it's good because it keeps things right and keeps temptation away from me as well. It's information that I don't need to know for many reasons. And so I just want to emphasize that this morning. I have no idea who gives what. But we also, we have to remember that that we're not giving to a legal system. We don't give to be recognized by others. You give in secret with the Lord. Your reward is the pleasure of your king, not the acclaim of others. He's the one that matters. He's the one who knows what you give, and so give to him. Don't think about anybody else. Think about you in him. Don't worry about your neighbor, what they're doing, or what they may be seeing. Just be faithful to your Savior. Make sure that the intent of your heart is right. Keep what you're doing between him and you. Your Savior loves you so much. Now along with this, we have to remember that this giving in secret doesn't give us license to hoard our wealth for ourselves, right? Just because people don't know what I'm giving or not giving doesn't mean that I have license to not give. Jesus expects his followers to give. Yes, it's a secret, but the one who knows the secret is the all-knowing God who knows your heart. He knows your intent. And so, those two things to apply. Don't give for the eyes of others. God sees your heart. And ask yourself, am I giving? And am I giving rightly? And so your discretion will reveal your intent. Because giving is for the church. It's between all of us and the Lord. We give discreetly. And our Father in heaven knows our hearts. He knows what we are giving Him. And He will reward you for what you are doing. And the next question we need to ask ourselves in this spiritual checkup is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the question we're going to ask ourselves here is, am I giving generously? Am I giving generously? My benevolence reveals my faith. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you have any kind of farming background, you're going to understand this really quickly. Sowing. Now we're not talking about, you know, your grandmother's sewing room where she makes you nice outfits. We're talking about sowing, spreading seed, planting seed. Uh, this is an agricultural analogy being used by Paul to, in the common language of the people of that day to paint the picture of giving, generous giving. 
So it's planting seed. Planting seed with the hope of a harvest. Now, I've never been a a farmer, but I know farmers, when you plant that seed, you're praying for that year. You're asking the Lord to bless your fields, bring the rain, grow the seed, produce a harvest. And it's the same when we give. When we give, we, we give, we, we sow the seed. And we're not to sow sparingly. Because if we sow sparingly, we will have a sparing crop. We are to sow bountifully. Now some people have run kind of sideways with this text. They use this to support a prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. Uh, The prosperity gospel is a worldly gospel which feeds off of greed and feeds off of selfishness. That's not what we're talking about here. This verse is not a promise that you are going to be financially blessed because you give. That's not what's going on here. What this text is teaching us is that when we are moved to give generously in faith, God blesses that gift and He multiplies it into His kingdom. That's what it means for the the crop to be reaped bountifully. It's about watching God do what God does as He produces a harvest of righteousness for His kingdom. What a blessing to be a part of that. As I give, God grows and He gets all the glory. Our God is a generous God. He generously gives us jobs, resources, skills, finances to be able to provide for our families. He is generous in doing that. He is generous with His creation. He has given us so much. And we get to watch Him bless the gifts we give back to Him. And so the principle here is that the more we give, the more the kingdom is advanced. The more fruit is being produced. It's eternal investment rather than temporary reward. We just need to think about it. Think about God and how He blesses what we give Him. It's His anyways. And He plans to use you as a channel to bless the world, to grow His kingdom, to save the lost. So when we give rightly, when we give open-handedly, our faith is on display. Our faith is on display between us and God. When, you, when we say that we love God, when we say that we believe in Him, our generosity is a proof of that faith. It's when we put money to where our mouth is. It's when we put feet to where our faith is. And so it's between you and God. And it's good to examine yourself. To take a look at your giving. Take a look at what you have given to the church, to the Lord over the last year. Talk with Him. Ask Him to show you through His Word how you are to be generous. Ask for His Spirit's help. Ask for Him to continue to bless your family so that you can provide for the church. Now hear me right. Remember that nobody is setting, nobody is setting a legal rule for you. No, it, nobody's setting a bar of faithfulness that you need to give this much. 
That's not what we're doing here. The bar is already set by God. And the bar is generosity. It's generosity. As per your financial situation. It's not one set bar for all. It applies as you are able. And so generosity looks different for all of us. We all have different jobs. We have different home situations. We have different families. We have, some have two incomes, some have one. Some don't have a job right now. Some are out of work. So generosity looks different throughout your life. And so the generosity has to be based on your heart. In your situation, what is generous? Verse 7 takes us there. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Right? It's not this tenth. It's not this 20%. It's not this 23% that we're seeing in the Old Testament. It's something that you have decided with the Lord is generous per your situation and your ability. And then we need to think that in light of that generosity, we build off the generosity of Jesus Christ who was so generous with us to save us from our sin. Jesus didn't give us the minimum. He gave us all of himself. He was so generous with his life. And so we don't give the minimum. We don't give the leftovers. We sow open-handedly. We sow bountifully trusting the Lord to provide our needs to produce a bountiful harvest in our midst. And so we give generously. Am I giving generously? Our benevolence reveals our faith. And the next question to ask is, am I giving cheerfully? Am I giving cheerfully? My disposition reveals my treasure. Back to verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the original sense of, of cheerful here is being extremely happy to give, glad in the heart to give, ready with joy to give. Putting a generous amount of money in the offering plate. Cheerfully setting up my automatic withdrawal for the church. Being happy as I text my amount to the website so that we can give to the church. Being happy in that. Being joyful. Being cheerful in that. Now I know that all of us know this verse. Right? We all know it. But sometimes it's harder to do than it is to say. You know, as you look at your bank account and you see those extra bills, you see uh, that maybe, maybe this last month there was a bunch of medication you had to buy. Maybe your car broke down. Maybe you've had some repairs to the home. Maybe things are extremely tight and you feel reluctant. You feel reluctant to give. Sometimes cheerfulness is the furthest thing from your mind when you're starting to consider what I'm going to give. As you, as you punch in the keys on your phone or your computer or you put in the offering place, you're telling yourself, be cheerful, be cheerful, be cheerful, but your heart 
is not cheerful. Friends, the way that we become cheerful is to remember the privilege it is to be called sons and daughters of God. That He gave us everything in Jesus. That He was so generous in His Son to save us for all eternity. That for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross for you. True cheerfulness is a supernatural byproduct of a heart that is set on the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. That's where you find your cheerfulness. That's where you find your joy, your satisfaction, is in that and in Him alone. Or maybe you're not cheerful because you really don't want to give the money. Maybe you feel that you've earned it, that it's yours. Maybe love of money is an issue. Maybe your lack of cheerfulness is revealing that instead of the Lord being your treasure, a growing bank account is your treasure. Stuff is my treasure. Financial stability is my treasure. This reminds me of the words of Christ. Matthew 6, 19-21. We have it on the screen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is that lack of joyfulness? What is that lack of cheerfulness? What is it revealing about your heart? What is your true treasure? Is it Jesus? Or is it here? We went through this scripture this past week in our marriage group. And, uh, and Paul Tripp said in our, in our video series, he said, the thing that is your treasure will control your heart. What you treasure is going to control your heart. And so this lack of cheerfulness, lack of generosity, reveals that our hearts aren't where they ought to be. And so I know that this is a real problem for us as Christians. It's, it's quite common. In fact, if you look in some studies in the church right now, giving is on the way down as the generations, the younger generations are being brought up, the younger generations don't give like the older generations. They don't. Younger generations are overfinanced, overspending, and they're not giving generously, which would indicate that they're not also giving cheerfully. Because it's often a cheerful giver that's a generous giver. You can't wait to give. Lord, I want to give. Give me opportunity to give. I feel this myself at times. As money goes out from the count, I'm telling myself, be cheerful, be cheerful, be cheerful. I have to counsel myself. It's not my money. It's God's money. It's not my kingdom. It's His kingdom. Friends, we need to lay up our treasures in heaven, not the kingdom of me. It's so foolish to be reluctant. It's time to repent of 
of desires for the things that are here. Repent of our, our lack of joy as we open our wallet and our bank accounts to the Lord. We need to be open-handed and trust Him. I mean, just look at what He has done for you on the cross. As hard as you can, picture Jesus Christ nailed, bleeding, dying for you on the cross full of love and generosity. And then ask yourself, as you look at your heart and your lack of cheerfulness, what is the problem? So we need to give ourselves away. And the next question we need to ask is, am I giving sacrificially? Thinking about the cross, thinking about Jesus and the sacrifice. Am I giving sacrificially? My readiness reveals my understanding. So back in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul was recalling the incredible generosity of a church, the Macedonian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4, to he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul was recalling the generosity of this afflicted, of this poor church. And he was celebrating their hearts amid such severe affliction and poverty. He said they, have, they had an abundance of joy in that affliction. And they loved to help, to give, to relieve other Christians of their affliction. They gave according to their needs, which is a New Testament principle. We give according to our means, not this flat 10%. Now we, we have, or and then it says that they gave above and beyond their means. Now we have no details about how they did this. Maybe they took on extra work. Maybe they dialed back their expenses. Whatever the case may be, what we see here is that they sacrificed in order to give beyond their means. And they did it joyfully for the kingdom of God. And Paul says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What hearts, what love, what understanding of the priority of the gospel. They gave up something, or they did something extra so that they could give more. Now, as I mentioned, we often look at our, our bank accounts and, and, and we see little room for change, right? But let me ask you, is there more room for sacrifice? Maybe there's no more money coming, but maybe there's room for sacrifice. I'm asking myself these same questions. Are there things that we can sacrifice so that we can give more to God's kingdom? Sometimes it takes thinking creatively a little bit. So some examples would be this. Tim Hortons instead of Starbucks. Maybe McDonald's coffee instead of Tim Hortons. 
Maybe coffee at home instead of going anywhere. Maybe eating at home more than we are eating out. Maybe eating simpler meals. Shopping the discounts. Shopping the clearance aisle. Maybe rather than eight pairs of jeans, I'm going to have four pairs of jeans or two pairs of jeans. No name brands versus the name brands. Staycations rather than vacations. Whatever it may be, these are just ideas. Nobody's laying any kinds of rules, and nobody is judging you for what you do. But it's a conversation you have between you and the Lord. Lord, what am I going to sacrifice for you? You have sacrificed so much for me. You know, we do sacrifice. We do sacrifice for things in our life. Sometimes we want to go on a vacation, and so we sacrifice for those things. But what am I sacrificing for the Lord? Maybe there are some changes to be made. But the key is, is that in our giving, it needs to be sacrificial. Sacrificial means it should pinch a little bit. My old pastor uh, from Kentucky said, uh, would say, you know you're giving sacrificially when it hurts, when you can feel it. Now, you got to remember these Macedonians, they were facing extreme affliction. And I can safely say that we are not facing what they were facing. They were experiencing extreme poverty, but yet their joy was full. And in that joy, they were eagerly begging to give towards the Lord's work. So as we look at the world, friends, we are rich. We are rich. Even in the economy Calgary is facing right now, we are rich. So what's our sacrifice going to be? That's between you and the Lord. Maybe you're going to work on that as, as a married couple. Let's sacrifice something together in order to give more towards the Lord. A sacrificial church understands the urgency of the gospel and gives herself away, sacrificing some things in order to invest in God's things. Am I giving sacrificially? And finally, Am I giving worshipfully? Am I giving worshipfully? My devotion reveals my adoration. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7-9. to But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Now Paul's not talking about earthly riches here. He's reminding the Corinthians and he's reminding us that the end game is God. Our riches, when we are rich, we are rich in God. It's all about Him. Apart from Him, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are poor. We have nothing. And apart from Him, we were heading to destruction because of our sin. But by the grace of God, the God who has everything and owns everything sends Himself. Jesus Christ comes to earth to live, to die for you. 
He became poor in the sense that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. He dies in our place. He dies for us so that we, by his poverty, by his scars, his wounds, his death, we might become rich. Rich in him, not here. If we repent of our sins and we trust in Jesus alone. Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 8. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So if you are saved by Jesus, you have eternal riches. You have everything in Jesus Christ. He is the bountiful harvest. He is your treasure. He is your inheritance. So does our giving reflect that? Does our giving reflect that? Does our devotion reveal our true adoration? Paul calls the Corinthians, and he calls us, to excel, to excel in this act of grace, to be faithful in our offering to the Lord, not as a legal command. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, your adoration, what you behold as glory and worthy. So is your love for the Lord genuine? And does your giving reflect that adoration? Our God is great, and He is greatly to be praised. Even though He is high and holy, He came near, and He is tender. He loves us, and our job on this earth is to ascribe Him glory. By the power of the Spirit, motivated by His Word, walking in His righteousness, ascribe Him glory, which means my hands are open, worshiping Him from the abundance of my heart, proving that the genuineness of my love is true. We're merely stewards. It's all His. He has given us so much. For your sake, He became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So friends, I know that a spiritual checkup in the area of financial faithfulness isn't always fun. It's not comfortable, but it's good. It's good for us to check ourselves. New Testament giving is not Old Testament tithing. It's between you and God. It's not an illegal obligation, but rather a gracious expectation. So what is your giving saying about your heart? Are you giving? Are you giving rightly? Are you giving generously? Are you giving cheerfully? Are you giving sacrificially? And are you giving worshipfully? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is is living and it is active, that it pierces into our hearts, and it shows us areas that need work. 
And Lord, we love that uh, we know that we can't even respond on our own, in our own strength. We need you. We need your strength. We need your spirit. We need your word to be driven deep and to remind us of what you have done. Thank you for reminding us of that today. Thank you for showing us in your word uh, instructions from your new covenant of how we are to faithfully give back to you. Lord, we thank you that it's all of grace. We thank you that we're not under the law any longer, that we are free to give and to give generously and sacrificially for your kingdom. Lord, we, we count it a privilege to be called your children. We thank you that we get to be on this mission, that we get to give towards your work and watch you work wonders. Lord, would you use what we give and would you grow it into a bountiful harvest in Calgary? We want to see souls saved for your glory. And Lord, we give towards that and we thank you that you've blessed us with that. And as we continue to sing, Lord, would you receive the glory that is due your name? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.